Hi, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money podcast. I'm AJ. I'm just jumping on to introduce our incredible guest that we have today, Danny Tamburo. She is a master bar method instructor and certified health coach. She's coached dozens of clients through individual and group coaching on how to create and sustain healthy habits around food and lifestyle. Her background is in dance, where she earned a BFA from Marymount Manhattan College and performed internationally with Catapult Entertainment. She is currently a co-host on the On Stage with Wellness podcast, where she gets to merge her love of wellness and performing to inspire other performers to take their health into their own hands. Danny is a deep, very close friend of mine. She was actually my first budgeting client in 2018. But before that, we had a wonderful friendship and I cannot wait for you to meet her. So let's get into it. All right, everybody, we're here with Danny Tamburo. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Danny, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your money story? Oh, hi, guys. Um, it's hi. so nice to be here with you both. Uh, so a little bit about myself, like just in general or anything? Anything, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what you're up to um, these days. Oh, my gosh. What am I up to? <laughs> well, uh, so... My background is in dance. I um, was a dancer my whole life. I studied dance in school um, and I'm now a certified health coach. I'm also a bar method fitness instructor. I live in New Jersey after living in New York City for 11 years, um, which is wild. Wow. So that kind of like leads, I guess, a little bit into my money story. So being a, a dancer, I... Um, never really thought that I could make money. I always thought, you know, I had to do my art. I had to dance because I loved it and I was going to be poor and that doesn't matter. It's okay. That's not what brings you happiness. Doing what you love brings you happiness. So I had that mentality and, you know, I grew up with parents who we were pretty middle class, but they were very generous. They gave me a lot of opportunities to dance and to travel and to do things. So but then at the same time, there was a little bit of guilt dropped in there. There was a bit of, you know, well, that's really expensive. And, you know, you have to work really hard if you want to achieve that. Are you sure you can do that? And we're sending you away. It costs a lot of money, you know, so there, it just always, I felt like put a lot of pressure on me to, to succeed and version, I guess, what I thought success was, was like getting into a top tier dance company and being able to support myself financially as a dancer. So, um, and instead of that, like really motivating me to like go hard at it, instead it kind of made me like very overwhelmed and I just never felt like worthy or good enough. And I got kind of caught in a little bit of a perfectionist mindset and I never knew how to stand up for what, what I wanted or what I needed. And as like a young dancer in New York City, you get asked to do a lot of free work and it's assumed that you're going to work for free. So I always kind of just accepted all those free jobs. And I think that like that created the mentality that like I am not worth a lot. Like I'm not worth a lot of money. Um, I don't deserve a lot. I don't need a lot. You know, that's kind of what I thought until lo and behold, I realized I had all this debt coming out of school. So went to college for dance, came out of college with like enormous debt 
I didn't pay it off for a few years because my mom ended up helping me, but then she was going through some financial hardship, a lot of credit card debt, and was basically like, Danielle, you need to pay this yourself. And then all of a sudden I get the bill and it was a lot of money. It was like $900 a month. And I was like paying New York city rent. And I was like, what do you, and I always lived in like very affordable apartments. Like I was always like finding ways to not pay a lot of rent, but granted still had to pay rent. Then all of a sudden I had all this debt. And then on top of that, I was putting money on credit cards. I was you know, asked to be in friends' weddings and I was going to bachelorette parties. And then I was get rolling in all these like personal development courses and I enrolled in a health coaching uh, certification program. Um, and I just never put any plans in place to be able to pay off that debt because I think I always thought, you know, I'll figure it out and I'm going to be poor and I'm just going to have to deal with this debt. Like, right? Like that's what, that's what people do. They just deal with it and they just ignore it. <laughs> you know, they just pay it off when they can. But, you know, there, there came to a breaking point where I felt so overwhelmed and just completely drowned in debt. And I felt like I couldn't do things I wanted in my life. I felt almost like gypped of like a good life at one point, which is ridiculous because I had a great life. But it was like, I felt like I can't have kids. I can't um, buy a house. Like I'm never going to be able to do any of those things because I'm going to be paying off like $100,000 of debt for the next like 30 years. And that felt just insanely overwhelming to me. So when I reached my breaking point, I admitted I needed help. I was like, I need help. I need to like set some structures and strategies in place. And then there came AJ. She just, (laughs) I ran, I walked in the door with my hands on my hips. I said, I'm here. (laughs) Like, I can help you. (laughs) And I was just so inspired by AJ's story. um, How you were able to pay off like so much debt and just really like take, power and take like take the power back instead of money controlling you you were like I'm going to take control over this and I wanted that I was like I need that so bad and from working with you I was really able to like turn my financial situation around and also my mindset around my self-worth and what I was capable of and now I realize like I can pay off my debt but I can also save money, which I never realized back at the day. I felt like I had to only put all my money towards debt and I never saved money. And now I actually like, I have a great chunk of savings. I have an emergency fund. I have a Roth IRA. I am so close to paying off my credit card debt. Like it's like so close. I can like feel it. I can it. <laughs> and I feel just so much more empowered. And I'm now like asking for what I want. I'm not settling for jobs just because I feel like I need to, just because I feel desperate. I feel like I am worthy of a certain amount or a certain you know, path that's going to fulfill me. And I'm looking for that stability. Um, so that's, I guess where I'm at now. I'm in a a great place in terms of just being more confident and comfortable and in control of my finances. Oh my God. So many things. So many Uh, things. things. I do want to say (laughs) I have so many things, but I want to say the one thing, which is that you helped me because so Danny was my first client because I went I literally was like Danny will you be my first client I will be your coach forever if you just let me like create this programming around you and but I was like but you have to be serious like you have to do the work and you have to like 
we're going to do this. We're going to be in like a committed coaching relationship together. (laughs) And you said yes. And that cannot be understated how much that changed my life. Because if you half asked it, then I wouldn't have thought I could do a good job and I wouldn't have pursued this at all. So huge. And you, and then you brought in so many people into my life, like Amle, who is basically, I think my third client. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. If you had to, Danny, if you had to pick one word to describe your relationship with money now, and one word to describe your relationship with money, like a couple years ago when you were going through all of this, what would that be? That's such a great question. I think, I think um, back in the day, I think the word would have been unstable. I think that, I don't know, that's what's coming to mind now, but I just felt so, so rocky. Like it just felt like I had no control um, over my money. And I think overwhelmed too. Like I just felt completely overwhelmed. Um, And I think now, now I would say, oh God, I, I, I think now I feel like I have a more empowered relationship. Like I Mm. think I feel, I feel like I can accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. And I feel like I can do the things that I want to do. And I don't feel as stuck and pulled back from money. I actually feel like no, I got this. Like, I'm going to be okay. I have strategies. I think I just feel more confident too and secure with my relationship. Those are great words. Great words. <laughs> I use multiples, <laughs> but you know, you got it. <laughs> That's all right. Just a starting point. But it's, but yeah, I think those are like two just like great ways of describing the shift that happens when you actually start to look at your finances. And I'm interested what you were doing to make that shift? Like obviously working with AJ was huge and really, you know, made you look at your relationship with money, but like, what else did you do? Like what shifted for you? Yeah. Um, I, well, I think, you know, working with AJ just helped me like get clear of what was going on because before Mm. we started working together, I didn't keep track of anything. Like I, I would look Me at my neither. bank account. Yeah, <laughs> you get it. I mean, I would look, right? But what I would do is I would look at my bank account and I would just get overwhelmed and I'd be like, okay. And then I would close it, you know, but I never <laughs> actually, <laughs> just like, ah, cool. You know, yeah. oh my God, you're right, bye. <laughs> yeah, it was very overwhelming. So actually sitting down and like tracking my historical expenses, like looking at where am I spending my money? And then also... I think the biggest shift was realizing that, oh, you're not making enough money, as AJ liked to always say. Like, I had a money-making problem. I didn't have a spending problem. I actually was very careful of my spending, despite, obviously, getting into credit card debt. So, you know, first things first was getting just clear, what am I doing with my money? Uh, Second thing was, okay, I got to make more money. So I went out and got another job because I was teaching bar method, Um, But that was really like my only paying job. And I was only teaching an X amount of, I forget how many classes I was teaching a week, but I just wasn't able to support myself. And I also realized I thought at the time that I was working a lot, but the truth is, is a lot of my time was spent commuting or, you know, prepare, not even doing anything that was actually earning me money. So I realized, okay, I have more time 
to work. I can work more. I like most people my age are working like, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. And I'm working like 20 hours a week and I'm, you know, whatever. So I got another job, started making more money. Um, that helped. And then I start, and then I developed a savings plan. I made sure, um, I was setting aside X amount of money. Um, once I realized I was making more finally, so I started putting money into savings and then I started, um, Oh, the other thing I had to do was I had all that credit card debt. So I had to put, I changed, I set up a 0% interest credit card so that I could transfer all my debt onto that. And I think I had to have two because I had that much. So I had two 0% cards and this way I was able to not accrue interest. And then I set, figured out how much I would need to put on that card every single month so that I could pay it off within the period that was 0% and put the plan in place. Boom, boom, boom. Um, and then this way I could not be paying interest and not making any progress, which is what was happening before. I was like only paying interest on my credit cards. Um, and then I also worked to consolidate my student loans. So before, before working with AJ, I felt like I did everything, but then I realized I didn't. There were definitely things that I could have done. I kind of just gave up. I had very much like a kind of try mentality and then I would just get overwhelmed and stop. So she helped push me to like, call more, talk to more people, do more research. So I was able to consolidate my student loans, lower my monthly payment there. Um, so those were like the big steps I feel like that I took initially to get me on a better path. Something else about your month to month spending, it wasn't that you, like I said, you didn't, and like you said, you didn't have a spending problem. You were literally just um, buying food. <laughs> like you were just yeah. surviving. It was because right. your student loan was so high and your debt was so high, your credit card debt, that yeah. you felt like you were like, I can't, how do I keep up? But like you were just, you were literally just putting food and, and, and like your Metro card on your credit card. Yeah. I wasn't buying like clothes at all. No. Wasn't, and I would get overwhelmed if I had to buy something for myself. I would feel so stressed and uncomfortable about putting a charge on that. Like if I had, if I was like out of underwear or something like I, or, you know, I wasn't out of underwear, but if there was something I actually had to buy, I was like, I can't, I can't afford it. Like I just was freaked out about it. And that's such a bad mentality to be in. Like just to feel like you can't ever spend money on yourself. It's like, it's the worst place to be in. It feels so bad. I mean, I know oh my God. experience. I've totally been there too. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I think we all have. I Something that Amelie and I were talking about when we were coming up with things that we wanted to talk to you about is that Amelie wanted the, the question about um, about the alternative career. And I'll let Amelie mm. go into it. But um, we were doing a cultural exercise and like uh, beliefs that you have about money, like from your culture. And Amelie was like, I realized that I didn't grow up with anybody who was like an entrepreneur or who like mm. made it on their own. Like she grew up with like people who were doctors and lawyers and accountants and all that stuff. And like very, those very linear paths. And so she, so I'll let Amelie ask the question, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, no, I I'm, like, so, I'm so interested in that because yeah, exactly what AJ said. Like I didn't grow up with anybody who was doing anything other than like the nine to five thing. So I'm so interested 
in how like you you talked about it a little bit but like what was that decision like becoming a dancer and did you have people in your life who were living a lifestyle that you could you know like emulate a little bit or was that just like your parents did a good job of telling you to go follow your dreams (laughs) (laughs) I think that's more it because my parents are very like traditional nine to five jobs classic jobs very like traditionally like more conservative minded um and I I don't remember ever really growing up around anybody who was like doing any sort of alternative career as you called it um but I think you know I just had like a clear love and excitement and passion for dance at such a young age like I became serious about dance at age 10 honestly and so I think my parents just saw that I had something that I was like good at at the time and I was really passionate about so they just encouraged that and there was a point where they kind of pulled back a little and they were like, are you sure you want to do this? And, you know, you should probably get a more stable job. And I was like, no, I was so determined. But, you know, I think also going away to, I mean, they were able to send me to a boarding school for dance in high school. So I think being in that environment where I was around a bunch of young artists and people who were aspiring for these careers, that gave me the confidence that, oh, you could do something like this. You don't have to go down the traditional route, you could do something different and do something that excites you and that you love. And that I feel like probably really like initiated or maybe just like, you know, kept the spark going, kept the flame. Um, But I think, I think my parents, they just kind of, I don't know, for some reason they believed that I could do it or they, they wanted to support me with whatever I wanted. But there was definitely moments where you know, they doubted it and encouraged me to take a different path, but I was super determined. <laughs> so. What, what, so what was your belief about the different path and mm. like, what were your feelings about going in a different direction? I think, okay. My belief definitely for going down, let's say a more traditional path. I thought that that was for stability and money. And that was not for love or passion or joy. So I thought that if you went down that route, you were going to be unfulfilled or you were going to be dissatisfied with your professional life. And then I thought going into an alternative career that you would be really happy and you would love what you do, but you, you're going to struggle and it's going to be hard work and you might be poor, but in the long run, you're eventually going to you know, reach a level of success, hopefully, if you achieve your dreams, and you'll make a lot of money. And, you know, that I think that I think was probably more my mindset, maybe not necessarily that dancers were going to be really wealthy, but that it was more like alternative career, happiness, traditional career, less happiness, but more money. Mm. Yeah. Did they talk to you about money and careers at your boarding school at all? No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember any conversation about that. No, but maybe, maybe I just tuned out. (laughs) Um, I forgot that you went to that boarding school. So Danny and I met totally randomly um, at like a networking event, but she went to this boarding school with my best friend from college. Yes. Oh my God. Right. That's so weird. Totally funny. Cause I study drama. So I understand your world. (laughs) Right. I studied environmental studies. (laughs) At UVM. UVM. (laughs) So crunchy. I love it. I wish I studied environmental studies. Honestly, it was the best decision I've ever made. It like made me who I am. Yeah, I don't think my drama degree was the best decision I ever made. (laughs) No. I don't. I had 
so little guidance and so <laughs> little support. It was unbelievable. I, mm. I, the advisor was fantastic, but like, I just, I went from having like, I just had no structure. I just didn't, I didn't know. I was like, I want to be an actress. What do you mean? There's work involved in that. <laughs> right. Don't I just show up and someone hires me? And... I'm here. Yeah. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I think I, I obviously don't, I don't regret it because it's, you know, led me to where I am today and, you know, all that jazz, but I don't think it was the smartest path for me. And I actually think my like love for dance started to die even before college. And I didn't even realize it because I was so dead set and like proving that I had to like make it, you know, I was like, my parents sacrificed all this. I think it was the guilt, you know, like my parents sacrificed yeah. this. I was expected to do this. And like, they're counting on me to do this because they spent all this money on me. So I just like hung on for dear life for probably way too long, but. Well, it's yeah. also like the identity, right? Like your identity was a dancer. It was the same for me. Like yeah. I, wanted, I, when I was looking at colleges, um, I really got into like, um, evolutionary biology and I mm. was like, so excited about it in a way that I hadn't been excited about anything. And like, it made perfect sense with like developments, all the stuff like psychology wise and like, like, um, all the things that I had done in, in high school that I really enjoyed anthropology and all those things. And I was really into it. And then I was like, no, I'm going to go be an actress. Like that's what I've always said I was going to be. So I yes. have to be that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was the same pretty much. Yeah. It took me a long time to let go of my dancer identity. I still even like feel like I identify as a dancer. Like I always have to tell people, Oh, I used to be a dancer, you know? <laughs> It's just like, I feel like it's a part of who I am, but it did take a bit to let go of that being what supported me financially, or that was going to be my career. Yeah. I think a lot about the like career versus passion thing. I don't know what you guys think about this, but it's so, I feel like I want to do something that I'm super passionate about for my work because that like you were saying, like, that's the only way to be fulfilled. And I definitely have that belief as well, that like, if you stay in this nine to five job, it's not going to be your passion. You're, you're going to like wake up when you're 40 and be like, what the fuck? But <laughs> at the same time, I feel like there are, I've heard people say that if you follow like a passion, then it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as exciting to you anymore because no matter like work is work regardless. And I don't know what I think about that, <laughs> but I don't know if you have any insight into that as somebody who is, was mm -hmm. like working and doing like this thing that you're passionate about. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's honestly unique to every person because I think there are some people who are able to follow their passion and love what they do. I mean, my, my partner, Isaac is like a perfect example. I mean, he, has known he wanted to be a comic, comic book artist since he was a kid and he's doing it. And he like works his at, like he works constantly. He's like, but he's like freelance life, but he's just like so excited and loves what he does. And he, he, like, it hasn't died. Like he looks at it as work, but he also like loves what he does. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's some, for some people that works out for me, I don't think it worked out because I, and I think a lot of it had to do with my mentality. And maybe if I had a different mentality at the time, maybe things could have been different. But I put, you know, like I said, a lot of pressure on myself. And I ended up like losing my love for it because 
I wasn't fully confident in who I was. And I think that's the key to like fulfillment and happiness in your life actually is just knowing who you are and being confident in yourself and aligning your life with your values. Because if you don't know who you are and you don't speak your mind freely, you don't like trust yourself, no matter what you do, you're never going to find fulfillment. You're never going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I also think there's something about not getting paid for your work that probably also like broke your spirit. Cause I know for me, like as I teaching thousands of hours of yoga, um, I got to this point when I was getting out of this debt mindset and into abundance mindset. And I was just like, this doesn't feel fair Mm -hmm. anymore. Like I can't live off of doing this job anymore. And therefore I can't give. And as a yoga instructor, you're talking about abundance and, you know, be, you know, that the universe is conspiring for you and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm saying this to a bunch of like middle-aged white people who are make who make way more money than me. Right. Who are like desperate to hear this this information too. And I'm like, I this doesn't feel fair anymore. And it just didn't mm-hmm. feel right. And it was like, so that really turned me off of the yoga world. Um, yeah. And and leaving that passion and re-identifying myself as like in as someone I, I really identified as a yoga teacher. And I was like, I'm a yoga teacher. And there was a lot of pride. And there was a lot of like, this yep. is my new role. I'm not an actress. I, I, I hadn't wanted to be an actress for years. And I'm like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. And then mm. letting that go. And um, I think, yeah, when you're not valued, like when you're constantly being told, oh, it's okay to not pay you for your worth. Like yep. I actually had somebody reach out to me last year and maybe even the beginning of this year and was like, um, oh, would you, would you be interested in like doing a retreat for free? Right. I have like so many out. I have so many, so many hours of experience. Like that's so insulting. Right. Can you imagine? Like, why should I be giving my time away for free for an experience? Like, I'm a, at that point. I'm a 30 year old person, 29 year old person. Like, right. You've been teaching yoga for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Like, would yeah. you ask somebody to give like consulting advice for free in a company? Like. Would you ever no, play in your nine to five right. job? Like but do that's your job the, for free? That's the alternative career path mindset. Yeah. Like yeah. people do things for free. Like that's, but if you take a traditional route, like you're never going to be working for free. You're always going to be paid for your time. Like maybe sometimes you're overworked, but you're going to get paid. So yeah. it's just a totally different mindset. And, you know, something I thought about when you were just talking about like your identity as a yoga teacher, I think there's also like a lot of ego involved at least for me like i felt so cool when i told people that i was a dancer mm-hmm. you know like it just feels cool and that's probably maybe how you felt like too as a yoga teacher like, people are like oh <laughs> yeah. wow that's so wow what's that like and you just you feel like this interesting person whereas sometimes if you you know if you have it like a nine to five job or you work in a company like <laughs> i know when someone tells me what they do i'm like cool i don't know what that means you know <laughs> so it just is, it's not that it's less interesting. I don't think it means anything about you, but you just, you feel like you're this cool person. And I think I was, I didn't want to not be that. I didn't want to be like an average person or someone that everyone else is like, or, so I think that's kind of what, you know, pushed me to go down that route. And um, another thing I thought about was, I don't know if you guys have read the book, Big Magic, but I um, I love that book. I don't know if you do, but Amelie, but 
Um, I uh, like the, I think the part that stuck out for me was when Elizabeth Gilbert talks about your art and like, basically like she talks about survival jobs and she says, you know, we have to reframe our mindset around survival jobs. Like, first of all, let's like not even call it that, you know, but, but that's what they are. They help support you. And there's nothing wrong with having a job that supports you financially so that then you can support your art instead of you relying on your art to support you. Because yeah. if you rely on your art to support you, that's when your art dies. And that's basically what she says. Um, and that's what I kind of felt like happened to me in a way. Like I was expecting my art to fulfill me, but not only you know personally, but professionally, financially, give me stability. And it wasn't doing that. And then it was a disappointment. And then I didn't even want to show up for it anymore. So I wasn't nurturing that relationship at all. So if you're supported by another job, but you're able to do something else you like on the side, then you're able to put more into it. Even if it doesn't feel like you can put all your time into it, put whatever time you can into it now. And then, you know, when you're making enough, then you can quit your full-time job if you want to. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe you just want it to be a side passion forever. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I just thought that was an interesting way to reframe it. And I wish I had read that when I was pursuing dance because I think it would have like, it would have changed you know, my mindset about that. Yeah. I'm taking it now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I read that, if I read that then, if I would have been brave enough to take that risk, I was You're so right. consumed with the identity. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I just wasn't in, I wasn't in the place for that, honestly, probably yeah. is the real yeah. truth. How do you and Isaac talk about money or like deal with money when you're both artists slash freelancers slash whatever <laughs> you yes. want to call it. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Um, that's a great question because for a long time, we did not talk about money. There was mm. no conversation and we both had the same mindset. Like we're going to be poor, but we're doing what we love. And, you know, we're never going to have enough money. We might not have enough money to have kids. So we might just not. And then, you know, just it's so crazy. It How felt long have like you guys have been together. We've been together nine years. But um, yeah, there was uh, a brief like on and off period in the beginning and we were long distance. So we've been like actually living together in the same place for like five years. So, but I like to say the whole thing. So, cause I've known him <laughs> since I was 21 and I was a baby. So <laughs> he's obviously had a big impact on my life. Um, so we never, we both had that same kind of like lack mindset and money was controlling us. And we basically wouldn't have any say over our life because it would all depend on money and where we are financially. So we just got to work hard in our careers and hope money comes. So that's kind of been his mentality. And that was my mentality as well. But since I've now gone on a journey where I'm actually taking more control over my money and I now realize, oh, I can save money and pay off my debt and I could set myself up to be in a better place. And I can actually save money so that I can achieve the things I want to achieve. And if I want to have kids, I can take the steps now to do that. I just have to be clear, like, what do I want? What's more important to me? So I feel like I have a better understanding of that. So I've started kind of initiating conversations around money and we now talk about money. I have him doing his historical expenses. <laughs> oh, nice. I know it took like a few years, but I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> So we like sit down and we do that once a month and 
I told him like kind of my goals, we opened up a joint savings account and you know, it's, I mean, I'm definitely like driving it, but um, I think that, you know, it just takes time and we're at least having the conversation, which we never had the conversation before. It was just like, I don't want to deal with my money. I don't, I don't care. You, you, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, but now we're talking about it and it's great. And, you know, he actually, I mean, he's been doing, he did, he's been doing really well, I would say financially with his career. Um, despite being freelance, but he's gotten consistent work for the past few years. And when I was in a little bit of financial struggle with my debt, he was actually helping me. He was, he was paying off some of my, or not paying off my debt. He was paying more rent than I was when we lived in New York. So he really has been like a huge support. And, you know, now I want to be able to do that. Like, I want us to have a relationship where like, you know, we're not, I'm not always relying on him and he's not always relying on me, but we're both independent and if someone needs help we're able to help them so i think that also has like motivated me to kind of get myself in check because i want to be able to support him he's a freelancer there might be a period of time where he doesn't he's not making as much money and i want to be able to help him out like he did for me yeah and that's such a like nice part about a relationship is that you can like have that back and forth and like support each other when you need to um which is just like you can't do that if you don't have your money in order like that's the first step and yeah. so it's so nice to hear that now you two are having those conversations because you don't want to wake up in like 20 30 40 years and be like well, oh this is like way worse than it could have than it like yeah was yeah exactly yeah exactly you know, there, there's a lot of things from like the 1950s that we don't want to replicate but one <laughs> of the things that like you know women weren't getting married and had jo- most women were did not have jobs and so the conversation about money was like they would sit down you know the woman would do or like they would sit down every month and they would go over the bills and all that stuff and then when um our parents generation started women started really going into the workforce like money started to get really separated and i have so many friends who like mm-hmm like up until they were married, never talked about finances. And up until they were like, even after their marriage, like they still Venmo every, they Venmo every single thing. And like, you know, yeah. they don't even really know what each other has. And um, it's really fascinating how couples can like, I, I had a friend who said one, she's like, <laughs> you know, I, I would have sex with someone before they knew about like my finances. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a right. crass thing to say, but it's like, it's really true. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine when that doesn't happen. I, I guess maybe, I guess maybe with like you and Brett, AJ, but I feel like in most relationships, you're absolutely having sex before you talk about finances. Oh yeah. Hands down. 100%. Yeah. Cause yeah. I feel like that's like such a, that is like, more depth you know like talking about finances is a deep like deep conversation it's really intense and it's really personal which is is, like part of the beauty of this podcast is we want to like take kind of that the scariness out of having those conversations because they're so important and it really is life-changing yeah and I think that like the the privacy of finances I mean I feel like it was taught to me in a way too because I know like my mom would always say like you know don't don't ask anybody how much they make. Like it's a secret, you know, like we all- I hate that. I know, I know. (laughs) And like, I guess I understand it in a way because if you hear that someone's making more than you, then you feel less than, and you know, there's there's weird dynamics at play, but 
But I just think it also sets you up for like, money is this taboo thing that we can't talk about and it's this big secret. And then look at all these people who are in financial struggle because they're not talking about it. They never grew up learning how to talk about it. And you know, which why is, I think what you guys are doing is so important that you're giving people um, permission to talk about their money and encourage yeah. it. And I think it's like a, it's a, a huge part of the patriarchy. Like to me, not talking about money means that women get paid less. Yes. And it's, like a, it's a taboo thing because it's like they, <laughs> they quote unquote, <laughs> they, they. Want, want to like make, uh, like keep, make letting men like make more money and I'm like no yeah. like put it all on the table talk about it so that yeah. things can be more fair because if it keeps yeah. like being behind closed doors and it's like this taboo thing then like we're never gonna close that pay gap yes yeah. I have a really um I was just talking about it today and I like I don't know if I ruffled some feathers but like I never <laughs> think about the gender you ruffle feathers because <laughs> <laughs> I I think there's so many I think if we focus on the gender pay gap, we will not deal with any of the issues. And the issue is that most women don't ask for more money and men mm. are more comfortable asking for more money. Like I, I genuinely think that that is a big factor in the gender pay gap is that a man will go into a, a conversation for a negotiation and he will negotiate and a woman is more likely not to, um, because they want to yeah. seem flexible. They want to seem open. Um, and it's, my, yeah, go on. No, sorry. I was just, it's how we were trained. Like we were trained so differently than men. We're taught to be quiet and nice and good girls. And men are taught to be brave and to go for what you want and to, and to fight and to hang on. And it's okay to get hurt. And like, we're just taught differently. So therefore yeah. we're going to approach those situations so differently. If a man is aggressive, he's a leader. If a woman's yeah. aggressive, she's a bitch. Yes. Oh, it drives me insane. Yeah. Although I don't know. I mean, AJ, do you have anything else to add before I like go off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I just think about like who's like the number one performing artist in the world and how much do they make? I mean, they probably, it's probably a woman like mm. Taylor Swift, Beyonce. Beyonce. They probably make the most. And I just think it's like, I just, yes, these are systematic, systematic problems that we have to face. There's gender inequalities, but like, we have been in the workforce for like five seconds in humanity, like as women, like I'm not saying that it's, it doesn't exist. I'm just saying, don't focus on the end result. Let's focus on like, on altering these problems. Like how do we get women asking for more money and negotiating? And I think a big part of that is that we don't talk about money. And so um, for example, like, let's say that you and this other girl were up for um, a dance role and um, they both offer you contracts and they might offer you less and they might offer her more because maybe it's in the budget and like she has a little bit more experience than you. So they think that, and then you never know. And yeah. then you can never catch up with her because she's never going to tell you how much she got. Um, and, or yeah. maybe she negotiated and you didn't. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say like, I think I could talk about this forever and I hope that we do talk about it forever. But <laughs> um, I think that like, that is a huge part of it. And like, I think we definitely, as a society need to be like teaching women one just about money in general and two like how to advocate for themselves but i also think that there's some like deeply ingrained patriarchal things happening especially in like the business world i feel like even the and i've literally seen this firsthand like women 
getting demoted or like not getting a promotion because like they're they're pregnant or something which is like so not supposed to happen but like it does happen it happens all the time and there is and also there's these like deeply ingrained societal views of men versus women and so it's like if you have an unconscious bias towards a man being more like leadership like or whatever then you're going to promote that man first and that just like happens all the time and so it's like yes we totally need to teach women to advocate for themselves but we also have to do some work on like changing society and I think it's actually happening with like some of the younger generations and I think things are changing it's like a lot of these like older rich white men that are like (laughs) making the decisions for us right now unfortunately but it's not just old rich white men it's also their wives and also their siblings there this is true it's I don't like the whole let's blame men for everything I really don't I don't think it's fair uh mothers raise their sons like it's not right because it doesn't paint the whole picture like you when the whole Brad Kavanaugh thing, right? Brad Kavanaugh. Brett. Brett. Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. I refuse to call him Brett Kavanaugh. I know. <laughs> Brett's name. Um, like my nana was like, oh, when I, you know, when I was sixteen in nineteen forty, and I went into the sh- into work when she had that one job that she got before she got married at seventeen, you know, they touched my butt, and that's just how it was, and like. That wasn't bad. That wasn't considered a bad thing. And it wasn't that big of a deal. And it's like, my Nana still thinks that she's like, and I was like, Nana, you do not know what it's like to feel unsafe in your body. Um, I think another thing that is like, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about pregnancy because, okay. So the idea is that we want to raise children who are going to be like the future leaders of the world who have all of the resources they possibly need. And then we offer six weeks maternity leave. But this is a, this is a, like a bigger problem than just a corporate corporate problem because there's a chance that that woman is not going to come back to work and she shouldn't have to feel forced to have to come back to work. So like her not getting promoted, I don't know if that's necessarily the issue. I think the issue, I think we could talk about that, but I think the issue is that we don't have a government that supports us raising children in in an environment where they get all of the necessary resources they need to thrive. Mm. Thoughts? I feel like you guys made both very good points. So, (laughs) but I mean, I, I see it, I see it both ways. I do think it's a patriarchal issue, but I do think the issue too is, is how we were raised. And I think that, I think it's really, I think we just have to get to like the root of the issue and the root of the issue is just, let's re let's change our mindset let's relearn let's unlearn what we've learned and let's let's teach our girls and our and our boys like how to navigate the society differently like how can we teach women to stand up for themselves and ask for what they want how can we teach boys to advocate for these issues and to you know how can we teach like fairness and equality and instead of it being these like very different gendered roles that we're teaching right now Yeah. I don't think it's like all, like, I definitely don't subscribe to the only blame men thing, but like, I'm pretty happy to, to like put a lot of the work on the men. Honestly, I think that it's like, (laughs) I don't know. I think that it's like their turn to step up. Honestly, that's like my belief. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I I I think that we, I think when we blame, we come, we, we blame. And I don't think you should come from a place of blame. I think you should come from a place of love. And 
Um, a lot of men are suffering too. I mean, um, there are almost no mass, mass shootings from women. Um, if you look at suicide rates, it's majority men. Um, if you look at nervous system diseases like ALS and Parkinson's, vast majority are men. Um, I think they are suffering in, a lot of men are suffering too. And it's, and it's a collective problem. And to put blame on other is to avoid something within yourself. And we all have an opportunity to learn and grow and be better. And if I know you want to have kids, I want to have kids. Uh, you want to have kids. And Me? No, yeah, no. no, you don't want to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I you, I go back and forth right now. I'm in a like, hell no. I, I'm all like about the rich aunt life. That's like what I'm about right now. That's so funny. I thought, <laughs> cool, rich aunt life. So you want to be it. a good auntie to little boys and little girls and mm -hmm. creating a culture where we shame men is just as bad as what we've been through. Like, you know, mm, that's we, fair. they go down, we go up. I just, I just don't think it's fair and I don't think it works. And I don't think if we come from that place of hate, we're going to create the world that we want. I like what you said about like it, blaming others takes away from you looking within yourself. And I think that's a really important thing to emphasize. And I think, I think we like to blame because we, like you said, we don't like to take responsibility. And I think every single person has a responsibility. And what is our responsibility? How are we contributing to this problem? And I think that's what really needs to, needs to change is I think actually, I think, I think you're right. I think we all need to we all need to look within instead of blaming because we're all contributing in some way. So we just have to acknowledge our own responsibility in all of this. Yeah. I don't know, guys. Yeah. I, I mean, no, no, it's, I, it's I, tough. Agree, I agree with you that like, I do think coming from a, from like, I think coming from a place of love is like the right approach for sure. But I also think that there are some things that, it's like, it's more like holding people accountable rather than blaming them. And it's like, yeah. Hey guys, it's actually your turn to step up. Like we are working so fucking hard. Yeah. We're working so fucking hard. And it's like, it's your time to be a part of the solution. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's blame, but it's like, I'm not giving them any excuses. Like I'm done. You know, it's like, it, it's like, yes, of course, men have things that they deal with as well. And like, I, I mean, I'm in a long-term relationship. Like I want Frankie to be his best self as well. And like have all, you know, like opportunities and whatever. But I also like think it's really important to not make any excuses for men because like they've had plenty. It's like, I'm just like, I'm tired. I'm like, it's time for you to step up and like hold up your side of this. Like we've been, it's, it's like a scale. It's like, we've been holding up like 80%. They've been holding up 20%. Like maybe it's time for them to hold up like 75%. We'll take a little break for a little while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think about this like a lot. I, I love these kind of like these yeah. two different perspectives. I think, I think they're both like so valid and it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with anything you just said. Yeah, I, think. I agree and with I both yeah. of you, honestly. <laughs> like, yeah. really do. I think it just yeah. like depends too on like your life experience and what you're seeing. Like, if you are in the corporate world, you might be seeing things differently than myself, who I'm not really in that world at all. So I don't really, I don't always see that. Yeah, and right. I think honestly, the most important thing is just like opening up the space for discussion for yeah. all genders, all races, like all people. It's just like 
I just want to, I want to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. And creating safe space where people can talk about this stuff. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I could go off about like cancel culture. I'm like, just let people speak. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I hate it. Yeah. You're canceled. Uh, yeah. I'm canceled. No, the different Great. view than me, you're canceled. <laughs> Yeah, no. All right, I'll just show myself out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not to mention, like, (laughs) yeah, not to mention all the, like, emotional and mental, like, toll that takes on a person when you cancel them. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's not a good, it's not a good thing. No, and Um, I understand there are some, like, yeah, I understand there are, like, some toxic people who, like you said, need to be held accountable, but that's a different story than shaming them and blaming them and push, you know, whatever. It's just allow people to take responsibility and apologize. Like people change. Yeah. Fully, fully. Do you guys remember when Kevin Hart was supposed to do Mm -hmm. the Oscars? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And somebody found, I love how he handled that so much. He, he got, he went on Ellen and he was like, I literally have apologized for this multiple times this was, this was a different version of me and I'm not going to apologize anymore for a different version of me. Like I was insecure. I was trying to get quick laughs. Like I'm not that person anymore. And at that time it was not considered wrong. Yeah. And even though it wasn't considered wrong, I still knew it was wrong because when I reflected on it, I knew that I had evolved from there because I'm not that way anymore. I don't make those kind of jokes anymore. And that person who found that tweet went out to, for blood. Like that person went out for blood and I was like, like why, why? Because you feel so shitty about yourself that you have to then attack someone else and make them feel just as shitty as you. And we live in a time where it's like the bottom feeders of society, like have, everybody has a voice. It's like, it's like we have Twitter, we have Instagram, whatever. It's like, you could be a nobody and like get your attention from canceling Mm -hmm. somebody. And then like everybody will pick it up. And it's just like, Hey, everybody, maybe check your sources and like do a little research. We live in a time where people don't read a full article before they respond to something. They just read the title. I'm like, I'm so tired of it. Like do your research, like come from an educated place and then I'll totally have a conversation with you. But if you're just like retweeting something and then you don't, you didn't even read the article, like what are you doing? (laughs) Use your mind. (laughs) Use your mind. Do you think that there's like a lot of like has, did you have an experience in the bar world of a lot of like um, meanness and competitiveness and even in the holistic wellness <laughs> la la world? Um, maybe a little bit. I would say in the bar world, I mean, I did, well, I guess I should say I did work in a toxic studio. So I don't know if it was necessarily competitiveness there definitely was a bit of that but it was more just like a gossipy culture so it was like the the my bosses did not get along and then they were shitting on each other and then that just trickled down to all of us and it it felt and there was like it was very high pressure in a way which is ridiculous because it's teaching fitness but (laughs) should be fun right right but it was very like you know you have to do all these things correct and like if you don't like you know i'm gonna glare at you all class or you know i'm gonna go and like adjust this person because you didn't and there was just a lot of like yeah just like undermining like me as an instructor or whoever is an instructor. And so there was a bit of, there was a bit of meanness. There was a bit of cattiness and just like toxicity. And 
um, it was definitely not a great environment to develop like personally in. <laughs> I think it definitely was a challenge. Um, it's, I'm in a better situation now, but I do find that, and I don't know if you guys have found this and, you know, I just find that it's hard to, when you get a bunch of women together, it's hard for us not to be gossipy together. Like I, I don't know. That's just been my experience with working. Cause I've pretty much only worked with women. I rarely have to work with dudes. So there's just always a little bit of that competitiveness and like gossipiness, I guess. Yeah. And, um, species, the book species, um, I forget the author's name. He, it, he says that actually gossip is what made us evolve. Mm. Um, yeah, because it, cause gossip on the other side of it is caring mm. for other. Um, so there's like, there's, there is archeological evidence. I don't know how, but that they, they discovered that gossiping there's theories of how we've evolved. And one mm. of the theories is through gossiping is how we evolved. Ha, that's so interesting. Yeah. So has that changed your perspective then on gossip? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I inherently, I, th- I, I, I feel that there comes a point when like, it doesn't feel good to talk about people and I feel it inside of me. And then I'm like, okay, we're done. But like, I don't inherently feel that it's bad to talk about people, especially about people. I'm like, a, I, I'm a speaking person learning. Like I, 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 I learn how I feel by talking. So like yeah. if I have a situation with some, a friend and I'm upset, I might talk to another friend to get clarity on how I feel mm, about yeah. that situation. And like, sometimes I'm like really wrong. Like, and my other friend can check me and be like, oh, well, why are you placing judgment on that person's da 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 da? And I'm like, oh, cool. I like didn't think about it that way. Um, so I have like a really open perspective on gossip. Mm-hmm. I just think you have to trust in like, you know, when it feels yucky because right. yeah. Because when you're with that person and you know that it felt yucky, you feel it when you're with them because you feel Mm. like, oh, are they going to find out that I said that thing behind their back? Like, are they going to find out this thing or is someone going to tell on me? And it like makes you less present with that person. Yeah, Mm. it's so true. I feel like, you know, if you have said something that you probably shouldn't have said, I try to do the rule where it's like, I don't, I try not to say things about people that I wouldn't say to their face which I think is like a good role. And like, and like, of course that isn't always going to be perfect because as you were saying, like sometimes you need to process through something and then bring it to the person. But it's like, um, yeah, there's like, I do believe in like a healthy bitch fate. Like I believe in like healthy bitching. Like sometimes you just, you need to like let off some steam or vent. And if I don't want to go to someone and say something that I'm going to regret saying, you know, sometimes like you said, AJ, you just have to like kind of let it out and then, then you can, be like oh that's what I that's what's there really yeah yeah but I also I totally know some people who are just like toxic gossipers and like yeah you can and the thing is is to me and it's like I see those people and I'm like oh you are so insecure and this is coming like to me being like a horrible gossipy person just means that you are airing your insecurities for everybody to see And so Mm, I think about that for other people and I'm like, well, I don't want to be that way. So I'm not going to do that. And like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just so, it's so obvious to me. It's almost like, I'm just like, "Eh, well, I guess you got some work to do. (laughs) Which is interesting because 
I said that usually when I work with a lot of women, there's gossip. So that makes me think a lot of women are insecure. And of course, that's a lot of people in general, honestly. Yeah, no, it's true. It's hard Um, to match up with the belief that you have about yourself. Like you want to be this and, but then you're like, reality is here because you think you're this or you mm -hmm. you can be this or everybody told you, you can be this and you're, you feel like you're here. And so there's this like massive gap of like insecurity because you're like, why am I not here? Everybody told me I should be here and I think (laughs) I should be here and I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, it's, I mean, it's human nature to care what other people think about you. Like when people say they don't, they don't care what people think about them. I'm like, it's that's not just true. not, that's not true. Like, come yeah. on. It's just, there's no way. For, yeah. It's just for me about like picking the right people to like, and care about their opinions. You know, like you shouldn't, if you care about, it's what Brene Brown says. He's like my queen. Um, yes, if you, if her. you, if you like, <laughs> think if you care about every single person's opinion like it's going to be so muddled you're you're never going to be able to hear your own voice but it's like if you have a core group of people whose opinions you care about and you go to them for advice like or you know whatever you need from them like and you really value their opinion like that's totally normal and like that's where you should care what people think it's like if so what does she say If, if somebody's not in like the the ring with you or something like you shouldn't care about their opinion or if somebody hasn't done the work on themselves like why are you going to them for their opinion it's yeah, like going yeah. to a friend who's never had a successful relationship and being like hey, right. what do you think I should do in my relationship <laughs> it's like why are you going to this person like that's yep. not gonna work <laughs> right right and like you want to care what some people think of you because if you don't then you're then you're a narcissist. Like, yep. you're, <laughs> that's pretty Check much yourself. <laughs> you, you have no ability for self-reflection if yeah. you cannot take someone else's criticisms or opinions of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Danny, what do you think about like the cultural, like the community that you have been in for so long and like their relationship with money? Hmm. Like the fitness world or the health coaching world or Both. just in general. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two, those are good world, two good worlds two to learn good about. Yeah. Worlds. Two good worlds. Um, I think I think it's similar to kind of, you know, my mindset. Just like, you know, this is something that this is something that I want to do that is gonna bring me happiness. And then at least with fitness, I think there is um I think with fitness, there's a bit of the, you know, hustle mentality. Like I'm going to teach a bajillion classes and never, um, and, you know, be making like a certain wage or whatever. But there, I think there's, I think there's just a lot of the, like, I'm going to, you know, do, 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 do all these, do this thing that I really love and I'm not going to be paid a lot but it is going to bring me that happiness. But then there ends up being this like huge burnout phase. I've seen a lot of like soul cycle instructors and actually a lot of spin instructors. I've, I've seen like they get into that field and they want to do it full time. And then they all of a sudden realize they can't do it full time. And there's really, there's, there's not the stability and there's not, maybe they're making a lot of money, but they're only making a lot of money if they're teaching really packed classes and they're teaching a lot, which means that they're like, they're exhausted because they're teaching like three spin classes a day that are filled with like, you know, X amount of people. I don't even know how many. So I've noticed that a lot with spin. I mean, at least with, with bar, um, a lot of bar instructors are either dancers 
So bar is their uh, stability job. Bar mm -hmm. is what's giving them their security while they're pursuing dance. Um, but the thing I like about the bar method is a lot of the instructors that I get to work with are actually like not dancers for some reason. I think a lot of the instructors we've hired, they're just people who love the bar method and they end up like being naturally good and having this like secret performative side that then they, then they get to like, it's like their passion job kind of is, is teaching bar while they're doing their other jobs for some of them. Um, so a lot of them are already like stable and they are just doing bar because they love it. They're not doing it for money. And that's, I like, I think that's like a healthy mentality to have with it. I think you can have, a, you know, a stable, healthy career with teaching fitness, but I do find that, that a lot of them burn out because you have to teach a lot of classes and it's really hard to do that physically, mentally, like it's exhausting when you're constantly giving your energy to people and it, it, you know, and especially if you're an introverted person, I think it's hard for people who are introverted to teach a class of people because then their energy gets like completely zapped. So, um, anyway, tangent, lots of tangents there, but <laughs> I don't even, what, how do I, what about life coach, um, health coaching, like that, that group of people? Um, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's similar. I think a lot of them, they see, they see health coaching as like something that they're passionate about. And a lot of them, a lot, I, I've known a lot of health coaches who like have a full-time job um, and are doing health coaching on the side. But then I've known some of them that they then, after doing their health coaching certification, they realize, oh, wow, I can like create my own entrepreneurship career. And then they quit their full-time job. And then they try to find this alternative career path and they're trying to build their health coaching practice and then they're and then they end up trying like to get personal training and they you know add in all these other courses and all these other things to build up this career platform that they that they love and i mean for some it ends up working out and for some it ends up being you know kind of debilitating and then they go back to their full-time job they go back to what they were doing before but i think it's I think it's just the mindset of like this is something that i'm going to love doing and then um they don't um you know, they try to figure out how to support themselves with that, but, but it's a challenge because we don't always get the resources. Um, not everybody is, you know, knows how to grow a business. So it just takes a lot of like side work. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of studying on your own time and like teaching yourself. Yeah. 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 I think there's also like people who like make it and like Melissa Wood Health or like, mm -hmm why seven or like these people where you're like, wait, they did it. How can I not do it? And it really, I mean, right. they just, they hit like the right, they hit the market at the exact right time with the exact right look and the exact right thing. And like, it gives you this illusion that like we all can do it. And I mean, right. I, I hate being a dream crusher. Like I don't want to be that person who's like, don't go pursue it. But I'm like, right, right. the odds are very low. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is I think a lot of people are like, I want to help people. I like health. I'm interested in health and I want, I want to be a health coach. It sounds really glamorous, right? It sounds like this like really cool job. Like you get to just like, you know, work from home, work from wherever, it's go sexy. to Bali, yeah. like whatever. And you know, the, the reality is, is like, like you said, it, it, it really, I think it takes like having a very specific niche, like really knowing who you want to help and like knowing like the marketing tools and the way to, to make that happen. But 
But I think like a lot of people just like want to be a health coach and it's just very vague in general and like including myself in there, you know, like it's like I just want to help people and it's like this big, you know, lofty idea, but really it's like, you know, what do, what's unique about you and what's going to make you stand out, you know, mm-hmm. but it can be competitive. I think it's, I think it is, you know, some people think it's a saturated market. Um, I also, I, I think that to some extent, but then to some extent, I think there's a lot of people who are unhealthy and there's still a lot of people who have, you know, an unhealthy relationship with food. There's a lot of people who are overweight and there's a lot of people who have a lot of health problems and therefore there potentially can be an abundance of health coaches out there, like get out there and help people. But it's really just like, you know, knowing, knowing who you want to help is I think the biggest thing. I'm a firm believer, firm believer that there's an abundance of money and, a, and an abundance of people to help. I yeah. just think that there's so many people who like want this cool alternative career and like want this awesome title, but are not willing to put the work in. And what you don't yes. see behind those, those influencers are people who have like created these like super, super successful businesses is that they have put so much work in behind the scenes or they just got super lucky, which is so rare. So I I mean, I think it's probably like 50% luck, 50% hard work, maybe even like more hard work than luck. But it's like, it's so easy to just look at those people and be like, Oh, I want that. But you don't realize how much work they've put in. And like, there's so many people who want to get there, but are not willing to put in the work. So yeah, Yeah. it's like, you got to really ask yourself those questions and be like, is this something I'm so passionate about that I'm willing to put in all this time and energy? Yes. And if the answer is yes, then go for it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think it's around you. Yeah. Yeah. It's about just like removing that ego. Like, wow, that sounds like a really cool thing. You know, it's not, it's, it's, that's not why you should do something. Yeah. That was me in middle school. I'd be like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna try everything, but as soon as it gets a little difficult, then I'm on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was such an awesome conversation. I'm glad we got to chat with you. I have one last question for you. Okay. Um, now that you are like getting your finances in order and you've done a lot of this work, what advice do you have for people who are feeling overwhelmed or stressed out and like need to start on this journey? My advice is ask for help. <laughs> really, I think that that was the biggest turning point for me. I think when I put it all on myself and I felt, I think it can feel, I'm assuming that, you know, for you person out there who's struggling, like it's overwhelming. You are looking at your money. You don't know where to start. You like know that you probably need to make more money or you need to pay off some debt, but it's like, where do I start? So just ask for help. Look within, look in your resources, um, you know, find someone who's able to help you, whether that's a family member or a coach or, um, you know, just turn to turn to resources. Um, and I think also just like take one step at a time. Really, it's like it's small steps. Um, I think I used to see like the big picture and I never really narrowed in on like what's the one thing I can do right now. So you know, take some time, set a game plan for yourself, focus on one thing at a time, but, but, you know, do some, do some research, ask for help because there are people out there like, like you guys, like AJ, you know, you guys want to help people and, um, yeah, take advantage of that. 
Cool. Amazing advice. Do you have Danny. anything that you want? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the same thing. Ah, same page. <laughs> Danny, do you have anything you want to promote? What's going on with you? Let's the, let the viewers know what you're up to. Um, okay. You guys can follow me on Instagram at Danny Nicole wellness. Come say hi. Uh, I also have a podcast. It's for performers. I have a podcast partner, Gina. She worked with Disney cruise line for about nine years. And both of us really kind of saw like a gap in our dance education where we really were never really taught how to take care of our body and take care of our mental well-being. So we started a podcast called on stage with wellness uh, go ahead and follow us. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast. And um, that's it. Please come come chat with me on either of those pages. Amazing. Well, Wonderful. Danny, thank you so much for your time. I am sure our viewers are going to love hearing your story and all of your wisdom. And we love you. And we love you. <laughs> love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. This is a joy.